So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. What's going on, good people? I'm so glad you decided to join us. Uh, we're picking up right back here in Revelation 2. Uh, we're trucking along. I'm so excited about this Wednesday study on the book of Revelation. Um, in in recent months, Revelation has been like heavily impressed in my heart to share, to study, and to present with all of my Bible studies. And so I've been teaching Revelation to several groups, and that would not, and it didn't make sense to exclude Bible school. So in, even though we're in the middle of Genesis, in case you didn't know, we are doing Revelation on Wednesdays. Why? Because all of the signs point to Revelation happening really soon. And I would be remiss if I didn't have you prepared. You're listening to me. You're listening to my ministry. And I'm teaching you how to thrive in this world. And I'm teaching you why Genesis is good. And we're walking through the Bible when we're living in a time that says that Genesis, uh, what's happened in Revelation, um, could be happening at any, any moment. So it is incumbent upon me to teach the word in season and out of season. And I believe we're in season. So we're going to teach the word. So we've already talked about Ephesus, Ephesus, the loveless church, the church that was doing what was good in God's sight, but they forgot to love God and how tragic that would be. And then we talked about Smyrna, the persecuted church, the church that thought they were broke and impoverished. Um, but yet God said, Christ said that they were rich and today we find ourselves with Pergamos. And so if Ephesus was the loveless church and Smyrna was the persecuted church, Pergamos is the compromising church or the church that married the world. So you remember in Smyrna, like they were being persecuted um, because of what they believed. Um, it was like that was their that was their claim to fame is that. They love the Lord, and, and that was not commonplace. It was not wonderful. Well, we find Pergamos to be the church, the city of the serpent, which is already disturbing. Like That's already a problem. But when we look at the word Pergamos, the, the, the root, like, well, the prefix per means mixed, and the root word gami or gamus means marriage. Uh, and so Pergamos is a mixed marriage, which is like, insane because this is the church where we see uh, in their time we start seeing uh, their leaders begin to uh, ally themselves with the church um, and they begin to compromise and we see the beginning of compromise which leads us to Thyatira state which is a hot hot mess um, Pergamos is a mess but Thyatira when we get to that is a hot hot mess and so you know, Pergamum was the great religious center. You know, one of them was a great 
uh, point of commerce, and we we had places that were great places, uh, great docking cities. Pergamos was a great religious center. Um, They believed that Zeus of, of the epics was born there, and they had shrines to all of these little G gods and all of this stuff. And if you've been privy to the um, the Genesis study, you know, we've been studying how these little G gods came to be or what they call demigods came to be. And, you know, as Christians, they're not the big G God, even though they may believe themselves to be. Uh, but we that doesn't negate the fact that they may have walked the earth. I wasn't there. Um, but there is room in the Bible and there's room to believe that there were some supernatural creatures that were mated with human beings and they came to being. And Pergamos was the place that they gave tribute to these people. They were not foreign to religious religion. Uh, they were not an atheistic culture. They they were polytheistic in many ways, but they were not atheistic uh, in, in any way. Um, we see the foundations of paganism. Uh, in Pergamos, and then we see where Christianity got some of its pagan ways, which is actually somewhere to shudder at, and uh, in several ways, it's a place to kind of get uh, a headache from. And you remember, um, we remember Balaam, who sold his gift to the world, was hired to curse Israel, you know, and then he blessed Israel, and some of the people that hired him were, were really upset. Um, but then he gave Balak the tools to compromise Israel's um, Israel's place. He said to send pretty women. Uh, out and they would follow fornication and we see that happening in Pergamos. So I think let's just dive into the scripture and see what Jesus Christ has to say about Pergamos. Um it as all of them it's 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 a mess um without any doubt. And but I if we before we pass any judgment on the church at Pergamos I think because I, I think this is the worst church we've encountered first. You, you know, we, we encountered um, Ephesus and Ephesus, you know, they did their work right. Uh, they they were they were working for the Lord. They forgot to love Christ, which is kind of sad. But they, they had the work thing right. You had Smyrna. He had no complaints against them. You know, they were poor. But then that was good. And then we start to see some some hard hitting sin taking place. In Pergamos, and that's not to say that Pergamos is any worse or any better than any of the other churches. It's just quite interesting that they are a church that's got some real serious issues going on, and they begin the gateway into Thyatira. Now, one thing I want us to realize is that if that first all seven churches are are historically correct, and then there's historical correctness. It's like it it, chron- it chronicles the evolution of the church from beginning to end. Um, we, when we look at it, we, we start to see how it began. And if, if the letters to the churches had been in any other order, it would not chronicle how church history has unfolded. Um, as we move toward through it, it, it's going to be scary and it's going to be sickening, but what's of what, what is bothersome to me is that all of it's true and all of what we have seen. And in many ways, a lot of churches that we may attend could very well be these churches. Um, I know that I've been a part of churches that are just like Ephesus and it was a whoo, wake up call. I have been part of churches that have been like Smyrna. I have sat and watched people be part of churches that were like Pergamos and Thyatira. Um, unfortunately, 
very close to Sardis, and I've seen Philadelphia. I, I want hope that one day that I would be part of a church just like Philadelphia. But and then, you know, I think America shoot as a whole is like <laughs> Laodicea. Like they might be worse. They might even be like a Thyatira. But like it, when we look at this thing, it it chronicles so accurately. And by the, when we get through the churches, I'm going, I'm going to show you a parallel from Matthew. But it's wild. It is absolutely wild um, how, how these things work and how they, the world, the word is so interconnected. But let's dive into the word because that's why you're here. I know why you're here. Okay, we're at Pergamos. And verse 12, it begins. We're in the second chapter of uh, Revelation. And the, to the angel of the church, right, in Pergamos, right, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have done, you have there those who have the doctrine of Balaam, and we're going to talk about Balaam, and I know I mentioned him, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat the things sacrificed to idols, and to commit uh, sexual immorality. Thus you have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name with written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Okay, so we know to the angel of the house of the Pergamos, we, we've already established that, and then we know that we establish, we know that Jesus Christ establishes who he is in, in the beginning of it, and he establishes who he is according to who he is and who he's talking to. So he establishes that his he is the one who has the two, sharp two-edged sword because the sword is the one that has to go to war and it is with his mouth that he calls things to be and it is with his mouth that he said do and do not do. Um, and so he establishes who he is. And in verse 13 he says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now you remember I told you that there were a great religious center, but they were a great polytheistic religious center. They were a great uh, center that was famous for everything that was not Jesus Christ. Um, and here we have a church established here. And so he establishes, he said, look, these doctrines that are going forth, these are not the doctrines of me. Now, you know, in the in the Genesis study, we were talking about the, the Nephilim in Genesis 6. Those Nephilim that made it with those women were not God's angels. These were fallen angels. These were angels that were not of God. And so we see that there is an issue with the things that they do. And so it is it is vital that we pay attention to how off these things are. Now, um but he says, he says, I know who your works and where you do what where you dwell. And you dwell where Satan's throne is and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even the days when Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you. And so he he commend, he gives them a commendation even though he's got some things to say about him. He says, you live in a place where I know it's hard to be a Christian. You live in a place where the people are bowing down to these things that I created 
all these things that made it and they were made after I created things. These are not the, the God. These are not true gods. And people are worshiping these things that don't. We're not created to be worshiped and they're allowing it to happen. I realize you live in a place that is famous for religion and they don't understand that I am the only one, the only tie that ought to bind. Now, if you're not familiar with what religion means, religion comes from the Latin word ties that bind. Um, and it holds the things together. It's one of the things that holds all things together. Um, and so he, he says, I realize where you came from. I realize where you live. I realize the things that you go up against. I realize who you're dealing with. I realize all of these things. Um, and, but then, you know, in verse 14, he goes back and he says it like he did again when he was talking to the church at Ephesus. But I have a few things against you. And that's the thing I love about Jesus, and I think I said in, in a couple of podcasts ago, that he, he gives them these commendations. He says, look, I see what you're doing. I see your work. I'm proud of you. You are my child. I'm proud of you. But now that I've buttered you up and reminded you that I'm proud of you and that you are my child and that you're doing what I've asked you to do, now we got to talk about the things that you're messing up with. Because in the places that you're messing up, you're embarrassing me. And in these places that you're embarrassing me, that's a problem for the faith. That's a problem for you. And that's a faith problem going forward. So he says, but I have a few things against you because you have those there who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat the things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So like I told you a couple of minutes ago, you know, Balaam was a prophet of the Lord. He had a gift for God. He had an anointing. He did walk with God or he walked for God. He may not have walked with God. He walked for God. And the Lord told him not to go when he was offered money to do things against his people. Uh, But even in the time when he was told not to go, he still went in spite of what God told him to do. And he was paid to curse Israel, but he refused to curse Israel. He would not curse Israel. He wouldn't do it. Uh, But then eventually they paid him enough and he told him how to make Israel fall. He wouldn't curse them, but he told him how to Israel fall. And he said, go put some pretty women out there. And they will fall to fornication, and sure enough, that's what happened. And he expected some judgment to come across, on to God, um, to come across from God. But God didn't punish them because He knew that there was. He punished them, but He didn't judge them, like they thought, because He put a stumbling block up, um, and He saw that they were tempted, and that they were supposed to. And when they did fall, like the Scripture says here, and like it happened in Scripture. Uh, he said they ate things that were sacrificed to idols, which is a problem because it's like nasty food, like that's not acceptable. Um, and then he had, then they uh, sacrificed the idols. They and they committed sexual immorality. God really has a problem with sexual immorality, and you know I've been trying to figure out why. And the only thing I come up with too is that it, you know, the scripture specifically says that you put your soul, um, you do it against your own soul. But also the soul tie deal, where you are literally tying your soul to somebody else. Uh, but that's what I could come up with, I'm, and 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 I'm still I'm still exploring that why God hates sexual immorality so much. Um, and I mean, other than the fact that He said don't do it, I mean, I think that's enough to not do it. Um, but you know, if you're like me, you you want answers and you want to understand why God says what He said, because it helps you do better. God said, don't do this. So that's okay. You know, granted, I, you know, I do encourage us to be like, um, the little kid in the story that I told on several podcasts ago when he didn't get in the fight because his dad said, don't hit him back. Even though his mom said did. And so when the dad said, why didn't you hit him back? He said, because you said, don't hit him back. I'm strong enough. I could knock him out. I would have won that fight, but you said, go tell the teacher. So I told the teacher 
And the boy is crying because he's upset because he didn't want to tell the teacher he wanted to beat Charles behind. But he didn't because he didn't, uh, because he, his father said, don't do it. And, and often enough, we need to be in a place where whatever God says is enough. And that's a hard place to be. Let's be real. That flesh gets to talking, that anger gets to talking, our temper gets to going. And all we want to do is handle our own business. But God said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. And we have to trust that he's going to do what he said he was going to do, even when we don't understand what he was doing. Um, Verse 15, he says, Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which things I hate. You know, the Nicolaitans, those are the the people who follow the Antichrist. Those are the people who do the, the opposite of what God says, and they abide in the heresies. Now, you remember we talked about the heresies last time, and we talked about how sickening and how awful those are but how easy they are to follow um you know that's that's sick you remember the three terrible heresies we talked about we talked about legalism where we deny christ completed work and we like we got to make our works account for something so we can go to heaven heresy that is and that is not as antichrist narcissism the denial of christ humanity uh where we where we try to convince ourselves that he was god and that's why how he could divide the christ he was he was God, but he was also man. And so he felt every lash. He felt every pain. He had emotions. He had things that, that bothered him that he had to deal with. He had to overcome just like we do every day. And if he could subdue his flesh, surely we can subdue ours. Um, and cesareism, the denial of Christ's lordship, the denial that, you know, we can just do what we want to do. And he didn't have lordship in our life, and that's a heresy. He has lordship, and he's when you give your life to him, you're supposed to be giving him the reins, and a lot of times we fail to do such because we're so stuck in doing our own thing, being our own person, ruling our own lives, that we miss the fact that he was put here for a reason, okay? Now, um, he says, verse 16 says, repent or else I will come quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, you remember in the beginning of, of this little um, portion about the compromising church of Pergamos, he says he establishes he's the one with the two-edged sword. In verse 16, he says, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And so he, he establishes that he has a sword and that he has this weapon in his arsenal, that he can come and he will take you out. He has no respect of man. He will do things that you, you are not prepared for. He will hurt you. He don't want to, but he can. And it, he don't even have to lay hands on you. He just need to, he just need to talk to you. And he can destroy everything. And he says, repent or else I will quickly come and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He says, look, my speaking spirit will come and mess things up so bad that these people will not understand what hit them. Please don't make me do that. Repent. Just turn your, just say sorry. It's funny, I was teaching uh, the story of Noah to uh, one of my youth groups this morning. Um, And I was talking to them about how God you know, he gave them the 960 years of Methuselah's life to get it together and to turn to God and to, to find redemption and to get on the ark, and nobody accepted it. All these people, all these people need to get redemption. All these people on earth living like hell, and in their living like hell, you got men preaching the word to you. And you can't receive the word. You refuse to receive the word. And in your refusal to receive the word, you you perished. And 
And I, and I told him, I said, all God wanted was for them to say sorry. That's what repentance is. And they wouldn't do it. And so he says here, he says, repent or else. <laughs> Anybody ever said the or else to you? Your parents ever looked at you and said or else? Repent or else. I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Look, I just want you to say sorry. But if you don't, um, I got to make some, some things got to shake. I got to change some things. I got to hurt you. I'm sorry. Don't want to do this. I remember when my parents used to spank me. My dad's favorite line was, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And a kid, as a kid, I'm like, bro, you are the one that is beating me. Well, how could this hurt you more than it hurt me? And later, as I grew, I grew up and um, I heard an account of him crying while he had to spank my sister uh, because he felt like he couldn't, he, there was nothing else left. She, she was just out of control at that point. She was going to puberty. You know how girls do. And it became increasingly apparent that our parents loved us so much to discipline us because they didn't want us to be a mess. They didn't want us to do things that were unacceptable. They didn't want us to go places that we, we ought not have gone and, and to do things and to defy them was the opposite of, of everything they had worked for because they were trying to raise these children in the way that they could go and we were <laughs> going in the opposite direction, and, and that hurts. And so when they say it hurt us more than it hurt them, I can relate here to Jesus when he says, repent or else, I don't want to have to go destroy you all with the sword of my mouth, but I will to prove my point. I don't want to beat you. I don't want to spank you. I don't want to put you on punishment. I don't want to not have to allow you to do things, but I will if I have to. Verse 17, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name will be written on which no one knows except him who receives it. He says, uh, he who has a, the ear to hear, you know, that, that's a repeating thing. He said that in each of them, um, in each of them where they, are, they require repentance. And he says, to him who overcomes, I will give him hidden manna. Now, you know, manna was like his thing. God gave manna from heaven. Like, that was his food. So I'm going to give you hidden manna. I'm going to feed you until you want no more. I'm going to give you food from heaven. Heaven is heaven is going to provide your meals. You're going to be able to eat. And I, I believe this is in a spiritual manner and a, fit, a physical manner. But I'm going to feed you till you want no more. And But he doesn't stop there. And then I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name which will be written on it, which no one receive, knows except him. Now, when we look through scripture, whenever God gives them a new name, he's given them a new assignment. He's also redeemed them from what they were to what they what they shall be. You remember Paul, Saul went from Paul and he went from being Saul, the persecutor, to being Paul, uh, the on fire man for Christ that went and revolutionized Christianity and spread the word all across the world. And we see like these wonderful things go going forth and, and things are changing at, at his hands because he's so on fire for the word of Jesus Christ. And so we see uh, amazing things happening and doors opening and things changing and just wonderful, wonderful things. And then, you know, when we see uh, all of these people who, who Abram went from Abram to Abraham, and, and it's like when he puts a new calling or he makes covenant, he seals you with a new name and that new name um, seals you and makes you better. And you remember Naomi 
uh, when when her when she was going through her thing, she didn't want to be Naomi no more because Naomi went pleasant and she wanted to be called something else that was not pleasant because our names signify something. Now, this is a sidebar. This is why it's important that you watch what you name your children. This is why it's important that you are conscious of the names that you name these babies. Why? Not because it sounds cute, not because it makes them will make them get a job, but because the names that you give them will shape their lives. You remember Esau was named Esau because he came out hairy. And they named that boy Harry. <laughs> um, you know, we you need to be conscious of what you name your children because the names carry weight. Uh consequently, both my both of my all three of my names have great weight and, and you know, my my last name I don't have a lot of uh they didn't have a lot of say so in. But my first and middle name, like they they crafted those names. My first name means victory of the people. My middle name means the protector of the people. And subsequently, that's what I'm doing. Um, and and never would have imagined it, you know, as I do word studies. And it's kind of what I did. As a matter of fact, I went home this weekend and I picked up a, a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance out of my parents' library. Because I want to know what things mean. I want to see how they, they re, re, react, relate and are irrelevant to the word and our day-to-day walk. But you got to do that with your names, with these kids, when you have kids. Please, 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 please. Don't name a kid something because you're trying to be creative. Name a kid something because you see vision in their future, because you see them doing amazing things, because you see them being strong and doing things, like because these are great things. But don't name a child because you're trying to be creative. Please. These names have more power. The power of life and death is in your tongue. Every time you call that child that name uh, and it has a negative connotation or it has no meaning, you are speaking things over this child that you don't even realize. But if you speak to this child, you are the victory of the people every time you call their name. You are the protector of the people every time you call their name. You're solidifying a purpose in their life. You're solidifying grace in their life. You're solidifying the blessings of God. And that is what we want to do when we name our children. But that's my sidebar. Um, And then, you know, he says, and I will give him a white stone. And on the night stone, a new name will be written on him that no one knows except him who receives it. So the Pergamos, Pergamos was the beginning of the mess. Thyatira is like, just like Pergamos, just on steroids. But Pergamos is the beginning. They are like the marriage to the church. They are they 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 we see at this time where the world leaders begin to ally themselves with um, Rome. Um, their leader uh, picks up the religion, the Christianity, and so you have your leaders that are avowed to being Christian, but they're not really living the life. They're just calling it by name kind of like they did with the other religions and when you do that with the other religions like that's that's cool or whatever because it's not real but you deal with a real god who's got real consequences who's got who's not upset who's not a cool and it's acting a fool and yet we acting like a fool and these people are out here doing things and they're falling now so i had some kids tell me in in, in church they were like well you know you really don't have to abide by that you can have sex like the bible is very clear fornication is a no-no and fornication is not a no-no to keep you out of having fun because that's what I used to think. I used to think they're like they told us not to fornicate because they were trying to keep a leash on us. Fornication is like the only sin, one of the only sins that it taps away at your own sin. You chip away at your own sin, at your own sanity. And after a while, you won't be able to recognize yourself because you've given so much of yourself away and you've received so much of other people. 
and that's not fair to your future spouse and that's definitely not fair to your children because you pass that on to them and then we start seeing chaos ensuing when you mate with somebody because that's what fornication is you are tying yourself to them now when you go tie yourself to three four hundred different people and then you call yourself getting married and having kids you're tying your spouse to those 400 people that you're tied to and you're introducing that and allowing that to go into your children and that's just not right and now you call me a skeptic call me crazy whatever but that's that's the problem that's the whole problem that's nothing but the problem and like like anybody we all have urges and desires but there is a reason that we are to abstain and I know that it's, that's not fun and that's not what anybody wants to hear and, and, and but we see the beginning of the problem and when we get over here to Thyatira y'all it gets real and you don't want to be in that mess you don't want to belong to that mess you don't want it to be your story um, but it could be and I really hope that it's not but that's what it is okay so of course if you, like as always if you have questions be sure to post them under the post on reverendkojo.com uh, leave a review on the uh, on the iTunes store and whatever other platform you, you, you use. Five stars, please. Um, and y'all be blessed. I hope this is blessing you. The study is blessing me. I hope it's blessing you. And until next time, this has been Bible School.